Welcome to the Ontario Animal Health Network podcast, quick and handy tips for veterinarians on the go. I'm here at the Pan Am Games with Dr. Stephen Schumacher, who is the Chief Administrator of Equine Drugs and Medication Programs for the United States Equestrian Federation. So we do this podcast because uh, lots of our uh, lots of our veterinarians out there have clients who do show in the United States. Uh, so we thought we'd do a little update on uh, what's new and exciting at the USEF and some uh, and some interesting uh, information about GABA and gabapentin. So, Steve, can you tell us what you do at the United States Equestrian Federation? Well, you mentioned my title, but what I do is actually run, administer the, the Equine Drugs and Medications Program for USEF, uh, which is a number of different roles, selecting competitions for testing, um, working with the, the scientific aspect of drug testing as far as pharmacokinetic data, um, and then also assisting in the adjudication of, of positive findings. And what's your background? I've actually I've been in the current role right now for this is my ninth year, uh, but I've been involved with the program for about 18 years, um, both as a drug testing technician and then as a drug testing veterinarian. So I've kind of started from the ground up, catching pee, mm-hmm. uh, as we always glamorous. Are. Yes, you're an acquisition specialist, <laughs> and um, so I've, I've done it. I, I was involved with the program before I went to veterinary school. Okay, cool. Um, so for clients, for veterinarians who have clients that are showing in the United States, what information should they be aware of as far as finding where, finding rules for USAP and that sort of thing? Um, we've had, we've maintained, uh, our program has been around since 1970, and we've maintained a, uh, a hotline. I, the, the women in the office don't really prefer the term hotline, but we do have a number of people can call, contact to get information regarding specific drugs and medications that can be used at USCF licensed competitions as well as FEI competitions um, and then again also for AQHA competitions in the US. Um, we also have a, a variety of other means. Uh, we have a guidelines that is printed uh, every year and those are on our webpage uh, for USCF webpage uh, but we also have a new app that has okay. the guidelines that you can get on your smartphone. Okay. Do you know if it's available in Canada? I do not know. Okay. We'll, we'll try it out. We'll Absolutely. let you know. <laughs> okay. Very good. The thing that I love about the hotline is that the ladies do answer, and they and they're even you know they they will always call you back if they're even not on the phone uh, if they're not available at that time. Absolutely. They do a great job, and I think with this program, uh, no credit to myself, but uh, my predecessor had a, a great team of people, and I was able to inherit them and keep them around. And we had one retire recently, thirty three years with the federation. And then we have another one, uh, Diana, who's kind of the voice of USCF Equine Drugs and Medications Program. She's in her 26th year now with the Federation doing that. So there's a lot of experience answering those questions on the phone. Okay, very good. Um, And as far as any new rules or any particular things that you would like people, veterinarians in Canada, to know about if they're sending their clients down for the summer or for the winter? Um, We've had a trend that started uh, several years ago. Uh, in 2013 where besides just the drug medications rules we've had a number of prohibited practices that uh, or a prohibited practice section that's been added to our rule book and what's looking at things such as uh, treatment mechanisms treatment modalities um, shock wave as well as uh, interarticular injections um, but then also we've had a, a new collapse rule that went in place in 2013 and then we also had a 12-hour rule uh, that, that prohibited any type of injection within 12 hours prior to competing. So these aren't necessarily drug rules, but there are stuff that uh, 
our program enforces or attempts to enforce. And then also uh, recently, just in past January, our annual board meeting, we had the approval of a vaccination rule. What we had recently found out, um, actually the last couple of years, is a lot of people with the herpes uh, incidents have been popping up around the country. Um, you had a lot of rumor, innuendo, you had a lot of fear that was generated from it. And so competitions were actually making their own requirements for arrival or, or entry to the competition grounds. Um, and some of these vaccination requirements, they just weren't based on science. And they, they were potentially harmful to horses. There's an increase in adverse reactions or adverse reporting in California. Um, but they were, it, it's such that they were requiring influenza um, a herpes vaccination, EHV, a rhino uh, vaccination every two months. Yeah. So. Yeah. That gets very hard for owners to comply with then. Absolutely. So what we, so rather than us, we kind of step in and say, you can't do this necessarily to a competition. Um, uh, so what we decided to do is step in and say, hey, we adopted a, the UAA, I'm sorry, the AAEP recommendations for vaccination for horses in competition, which is every six months, very similar to the FEI. Mm -hmm. Um, we added uh, rhino as well as we, we maintain influenza from the FEI. Um, and this goes into effect December 1st of this year. Okay. So important as you're sending your horses down to Florida, their clients down to Florida this winter. You know about that. Okay. And then you've done some really great research about GABA. Um, so I wondered if you or you are, is that correct? I'm involved with it. There's been other people that do great okay. work. So can you, tell, can you tell us a bit about that? First of all, I guess maybe clarify the difference between GABA and gabapentin. Absolutely. GABA is a, an endogenous substance and inhibitor neurotransmitter that's found in all mammalian species. Um, several years ago, we had uh, heard it was being used in horses intravenously and, and intramuscularly, uh, developed a threshold. We've been since adjudicating uh, findings for GABA. Um, and a lot of times it gets confused with gabapentin, which is actually a drug that was designed or was initially was supposed to act at the GABA uh, receptors but does not. Um, it's used in people, initially it was used as a, an anti-epileptic. Um, now it's used for chronic pain, um, and cancer patients, that kind of thing. Um, and there's, there has been some research done. There are some papers of it in literature used in horses, um, but it's just another aspect that we do have to regulate. The recommendation for gabapentin now used to be seven days. And one thing I'd like to highlight is it's really it's gone to 14 days. So 14 days withdrawal time. 14 prior days to withdrawal competition time in yes. the United States. That's correct. Okay, and then tell us a bit more about GABA. Um, well, I can tell you that GABA initially, when it was uh, determined or detected these elevated levels, uh, since we started calling positives, uh, the RMTC, a racing medication testing consortium in the U.S., uh, RCI, and the FEI have all taken notice and and uh, are attempting to, they've developed their own thresholds and hopefully uh, the RMTC is, has a recommendation for their threshold um, for GABA and, and what we've seen is that once we start regulating it, people have changed the way they uh, administer the, the substance um, and the problem is that they, they try to undermine or get below the, the detection threshold while at the same time exerting an effect. Mm -hmm. So we've had to alter our, our uh, detection of it, uh, alter our, our threshold, look at it a little bit closer, um, and we're still getting positives. Okay. And so what effect are people hoping for when they're giving GABA for those who don't know out there? 
mostly they're just trying to get the horse to slow down. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is there has been some work done. There's some work done at UC Davis last year that was published um, that said there was really no effect with cattle. But they were the, the issue is when you look at these some of these medications uh, and apply the same type of metrics that you would to a typical anesthetic or a typical sedative, um, you know, head height, uh, those kind of things, ear position. Um, you know, you measure if you were looking at you know, sedation, yeah. or something like when that, you're or looking at a or, or, yeah. or something like that. Exactly. When you're looking at a drug to uh, sedate a horse to make them amendable to a medical procedure, mm-hmm. and when you use those kind of metrics applied to a horse that's still supposed to go out and jump a four-foot fence, it doesn't work out. I mean, these people aren't looking for a horse with its nose on the ground. These people that are using these substances, specifically GABA, are looking for something to take quote the edge off, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not the picture of a sedate horse that you would typically think. So when you apply the metrics that are used to evaluate other sedatives for medical procedures, you're right; it, it doesn't they don't match up. However, um, it's definitely something that people uh, report working very very well in the, the show world. Unfortunately, on the downside, there's uh, it's obviously a it's carries some hefty penalties. So. It does. It can. It, it's a. Uh, it's considered a banned substance by the FBI, uh, which the entry point for a positive finding, uh, or for a positive case, would be two years suspension for the person responsible. That's the entry point, so it could go higher. Um, and what it means to be a banned substance is essentially that there's no accepted therapeutic use of GABA. There's right. no reason to administer GABA to a horse. That's the, yeah. That's documented, or that's known. Or there's no therapeutic use. That's correct. Right. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Did you have anything else you'd like to say for uh, as far as uh, about the Pan Ams or? <laughs> no, I just I, I think the facility has been fantastic. And it's a really nice uh, uh, venue, and I appreciate the hospitality. Okay. Great. Okay, so I'm here with Dr. Eve Rossier, who is uh, president of the Veterinary Commission here at the Pan Am Games, as well as um, being the professor of sport medicine at uh, University of Montreal at the St. Hyacinth campus, the Veterinary College. So welcome, Eve. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So can you tell us a bit about what your role is at the Pan Am Games? Yes, so president of the Veterinary Commission means you're um, overseeing all the veterinary uh, arrangements and veterinary, um, you know, solutions present at the game. So I've been working uh, closely with Mike Pownall, who is the veterinary service manager, with CFIA, who are, you know, the government agency responsible for the import and export of horses, and of course with the with the OC, the organization committee here to set up the stabling, the veterinary clinic, the veterinary facilities. So the president of the veterinary commission is sort of responsible for all that for all the veterinary infrastructure and arrangements during the games as opposed to the fei is represented here by the foreign veterinary delegate who then operates during the games as the the um, referee for the fei in terms of sports decisions and um, horse inspections medication control the up the, the, the proper sports uh, decisions that need to be taken during the games. And you're the FBI delegate for Canada, correct? I'm the national head vet for Canada, so um, I'm, I'm I liaise with the FBI in terms of what new rules happen in a year, make sure they're uh, uh, you know dispersed to our veterinarians in Canada, make sure our we have enough veterinary delegates, enough FBI treating vets, um, and sort of 
you know, try to coordinate the SEI veterinary organization in Canada. Okay, great. Um, so you're also so you also sit on the uh, equine medications committee for health, for equine Canada. So you're a pretty busy guy. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your role with that? Yes, I've been chair of the equine Canada medication equine medication control committee for about eight years. So it's coming to an end. I've done my my uh, term, um, and uh, that is to um, again the ro- the committee's role is to design the rules and 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 implement the rules for medication control at our national level horse shows, not the FEI. We we apply the FEI rules, but we don't decide on any of the FEI rules. We just sort of use them and and put them in place at the FEI competition. For national Equine Canada competitions, we design the rules and the program, and not so much the rules, but the spirit and the principles of the program. And then we're also responsible for the organization of the drug testing at the horse shows, and then the um, administration of the program. So right now we have 35 approximately technicians in Canada. So we're responsible for their training their equipment their organization which horse shows are going to test where they're going to be um etc and then the third aspect is adjudication so if there's an infraction then the committee has to have a protocol in place so that the hearing committees etc know how to administer the you know what penalty should be administered if it's and what level of offense it is etc so it's not the medications committee who decides on the penalties no, well, we've got a table, but the way it works is that we have a table which is based on the Racing Commission's classification of drugs. So mm-hmm. it classifies the drugs in five categories, and then we have a table that lists the range of penalty for each level of medication. So the idea being that uh, uh, the same offense in, or the stake, I shouldn't say offense, the same infraction. Mm-hmm. Um, in BC or in Nova Scotia is going to have the same about, you know, maybe not exactly the same, but the same range of penalty. Right. Okay. And um, it's a fair system. The other thing is we, we um, have made great uh, strides in familiarizing people to the drug medication control program. And we know we include bronze shows at, in our program, but they mm-hmm. get tested less often than silver shows. We get tested less often than gold shows. And we make sure that each discipline is tested in the same proportion as other disciplines. So right. breed shows, dressage, eventing, hunter jumper have all the same protocol of testing if depending on the level of the horse show. So gold, 70% of gold competitions have to be tested, 40% of silver, 30% of bronze. But if you're in an equine Canada sanctioned event, there's a chance that you could be tested at any one. Absolutely. And who makes up the medication control? What groups are represented on the medication uh, committee? So basically the core group are veterinarians and we're looking, we base, you know, membership on, we try to have geographical representation of the country. So, you know, by maritime, central, prairies and Western BC. Um, also, that the veterinarians are involved with sport horses and competition horses at all levels. So maybe we'll try to get you know some experience at FEI level or national level competitions, but also more regional and more um, 
So we have a diverse profile. We also have a representation from competition committee and health and welfare. Those mm -hmm. are automatic members. And we also have a pharma, uh, an official, an official, an assigned pharmacologist, Dr. Dowling. So she can give us the science and the science Great. information. Okay, very good. Um, so if you're a veterinarian who isn't part of this committee or doesn't, or isn't an Equine Canada member, how can they keep up on the Equine Canada rules? So several things. Uh, the Equine Canada rules obviously are in the published Equine Canada rules. So mm -hmm. the rule books, it's under in, in the general regs, Equine Canada and general regs. that's available regs. publicly. That's absolutely either in paper form or on the site. Uh, electronically, you can get them on the Equine Canada mm -hmm. website. There is also, we've made an Equine Canada medication control guide, so which a little bit takes an interpretation of the rule and is, is a little more specific than the rules themselves mm -hmm. in terms of indication relating to dosages and, and giving some more practical information. And that's available online as well on, mm -hmm. on site. And you don't have to be a member. You can, anyone, you can request a paper copy from as well. You could, and I, I probably you can print a PDF, etc. But there are, and the testers always have those with them when they go to a horse show. They will have the guides with them. Okay. Um, and the other thing is, obviously, if there's a rule change or a new rule coming in, we need to give a, a, an adequate time notice. We try to make them on an annual basis so we don't change them throughout the year you know it'll happen early before mm -hmm. the competition season and that there's adequate warning of course if there was an emergency an urgency to change a rule because of what's happening somewhere or we could do that based on welfare of the horse mm -hmm. if it affects welfare of the horse you can change a rule midway but we obviously try not to do that because it's you know easier to do on an annual basis okay great and if you're a veterinarian who has a concern about a medication or a medication control issue who could they contact Carrie Ross at Equine Canada is the point person for the medication control committee mm -hmm. she um, has an email uh, she's listed on the okay. on the site has her email um, we've made a Q&A for her, so she's, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what are the questions that come back most often. If she's not sure, she'll consult with Trish or I, or, but she's carries the, um, the go-to girl, the go-to uh, person for okay, that. Okay, very good. All right, thanks very much. Thank you.